the book of Acts is all about victory. How we can have victory, spiritual victory, how we can live in victory no matter what we are facing in our life. No matter what our country is going through, no matter what the world is going through, we can live in victory no matter what through faith in Jesus Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit. And that's the theme of Acts. And, and if, if you've missed, you can go back on, online and watch, watch what you've missed. But it's just a powerful, powerful book. And the title for today is Don't Mess With God or his children don't mess with god or his children acts 12 19 to 24 and we have a very interesting christmas connection today the king herod thread if you read ahead and you already read this passage to study ahead you see there's a king herod now we're going to look at talk about all the king herods real quickly here of the bible you talk about a bad family tree that, that's the Herod family tree. And the apple doesn't fall far from the tree with the Herods. It, it's, a, it's not a... If, I don't think anybody here is named Herod, which is good. You don't want to be named Herod because in the Bible, they're bad dudes. Uh, they were Idumenian, uh, Idumenian rulers that were appointed by Rome over Palestine. Okay, They were political animals, political survivors. Whatever it took, they, they did it. Uh, they tried to please Rome and stand the good side of the the Jews at the same time. But they were they were a, a rough bunch. The first is Herod the Great. I call him Herod the Not-So-Great. That's how I talk about him, Herod the Not-So-Great. He tried to kill baby Jesus, right? Uh, and next week, I'm not going to say too much <coughs> about this one because Dave Adams is actually preaching from Matthew 2 about Herod trying to kill baby Jesus and God rescuing. So that's going to be Dave's sermon next week. So I'm not going to say too much, just a little bit to, to get you interested. But Herod the Great had a son, and he had several sons, but one, the son that's in the Bible that we see is Herod Antipas. Herod Antipas. He had four sons. He gave each of them one-fourth of his kingdom. That's why Herod was called Herod the Tetrarch. Tetrarch is one-fourth. He had one-fourth of the kingdom. All right? And Herod Antipas is the one who killed John the Baptist, cut off John the Baptist's head, and then he was a key player in the crucifixion of Jesus. That's Herod Antipas. All right? I told you it's a bad family tree. And that brings us to the third Herod here in Acts 12. We're following the family line here. And we'll see a fourth Herod when we get to Acts 25 and 26. He's not as bad, uh, but, but anyway, the, the third one here is Herod Agrippa. This is the Herod Agrippa that we're, this is the Herod that we're talking about in Acts, uh, 12 here, Herod Agrippa I, he was the grandson of Herod the Not-So-Great, and also the nephew of Herod Antipas. So that's the connection, grandpa and uncle, and he was wicked just like they were, just as wicked. But we're going to see today that you don't mess with God. God sends a very clear message that you don't mess with God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the worship. We thank you for bringing each person here for this, this worship time and, and the word. We know we're here for a purpose. We pray that your Holy Spirit would speak to each one of us. And I pray that we would all take a step forward in our faith, Father. And if anybody has never put their faith in Jesus, that today would be the day they put their faith in Jesus. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so now here to Agrippa should have learned... He should have known better than to mess with God. He should have learned from his grandfather, okay? 
his grandfather, Herod the Not-So-Great. Should have learned from him. In fact, we all, a lot of us know what happened with Herod trying to kill baby Jesus, but a lot of us don't know what happened right after that time. And right after that time, immediately after he tried to kill baby Jesus, it's not in the Bible, but we have the history from Josephus. In fact, Eusebius and Josephus, I'm going to meld them together here. Uh, he wrote a history using Josephus. <coughs> Excuse me. And uh, li- listen to what happened right after Herod. I'm not going to tell too much of the story because, like I said, Dave Adams is speaking about it next week. But just enough to show you what happened with his grandpa. Eusebius said, It is worthwhile, in addition to this, to observe the reward which Herod received for his daring crime against Christ. For immediately, without the least delay, the divine vengeance overtook him and he was while he was still alive and gave him a foretaste of what he was to receive after death. His, historian. It is not possible to relate here how he tarnished the, the, his reign by successive calamities in his family, by the murder of his wife and children and others of his nearest relatives. He would, he would he just wipe... I'm not going to tell too much. I'm sure Dave was going to deal with He was a murderer. Killed his wife and kid, kids. He was like paranoid. He was de- demonized, obviously. Uh, And then he says, listen to what Josephus says, how immediately after his crime against our Savior and other infants, the punishment sent by God drove him onto his death. We can best learn from the words of the historian Josephus. Now get this. But the disease of Herod grew more severe. This is right after he killed the babies. The disease of Herod grew more severe, God inflicting punishment for his crime, for a slow fire burned in him, which was not so apparent to those who touched him, but augmented his internal distress, for he had a terrible desire for food, which it was not possible to resist. He was affected also with the ulceration of the intestines and with especially severe pain in the colon, while water was... Well, I'm not going to go into all the detail. It's pretty pretty gross here. Uh, uh, from a similar trouble in his abdomen, uh, his... Well, his privy members were putrefied and produced worms. He found also excessive difficulty in breathing. It was particularly disagreeable because of the offensive of his odor and the rep, how, rep, respiration rapidity. He stunk. He had worms coming out of him in every possible way. It was horrible. And then he ends up dying. I'll let Dave tell the rest of the story, but even in his death, he killed another son because he didn't want the son to, to get uh, upper hand. And he also uh, took a bunch of the Jews and, and set them aside and said, that the moment I die, I want you to butcher all these leading Jews of, of Israel because I want people to cry when I die. And he knew they weren't going to cry. This is Herod the not-so-great. And you would have thought the you would have thought that his <coughs> his son and then his grandson you would have thought they would have learned the lesson right don't mess with god that was a clear this is history clear example of god's immediately defending his son jesus defending the jews immediately but herod king herod here the the one in x in x uh chapter 12 herod agrippa he was hard-headed and hard-hearted, just like his grandfather. In fact, in Acts 12, we read these verses last week, but I'm gonna, it sets us up here. In Acts 12, verse 1, 
It was about this time that King Herod arrested some who belonged to the church, intending to persecute them. He had James, the brother of John, put to death with a sword. When he saw that this pleased the Jews, he proceeded to seize Herod also. This happened during the Feast of Unleavened Bread. So we see that he was wicked. He decides to persecute the church. He kills the apostle James. That was the first apostle to be martyred. All right. How many of them were martyred? All of them. The only one who wasn't actually killed was John, uh, the Apostle John, because God preserved him. They tried to kill him. They tried to boil him in oil and he didn't die. So they put him out on Patmos and out in Patmos. He received the vision of Revelation. And then he uh, in, in his exile, he ended up dying. But 11 out of the 12 apostles were were martyred uh this is the first one to be martyred but then he puts peter in prison probably intending to do the same to peter he's going to get ready to kill him because the jews the word jews means the religious leaders that's how it's used because you know everybody you know the uh, luke is a jew and and peter is a jew and they're all jews and not referring to the jewish people it's referring to the jewish religious leaders that's what that term was used for but it wasn't time for peter to die Yet, how was Peter martyred years later? Crucified upside down. But it wasn't his time yet. And we saw last week, uh, if you were here or if you watched it, we saw Peter's prayer break, his miraculous prayer break. What a story, huh? We pray, God answers, we're shocked, right? Uh, You remember what I was talking about that? So, Peter has this prayer break. He gets away. The angel gets him out of there. And Herod is not happy about this escape. Look at verses 18 and 19 after he got out. In the morning, there was no... uh, Peter has escaped now. In the morning, there was no small commotion among the soldiers as to what had become of Peter. He just disappeared into thin air as far as they were concerned, right? Verse 19, after Herod had a thorough search made for them and did not find him, he cross-examined the guards and ordered that they be executed. (laughs) <laughs> nice guy, nice guy, right? Uh, but this this is a, a, a picture. This is a picture. All who are used by the devil, as soon as he's done with them, he discards them. And that goes for Herod Agrippa here. We're going to see that with him later. As soon as the devil's done using people, and you can see examples of this over and over in our society, you, you see these certain celebrities or people involved in really sinful things, and and they're, they they spread wickedness, they 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 poison minds, they're toxic, they're used by the devil to spread demonization, and then when he's done with them, you, you read these tragic the tragic deaths they die. Connect the dots. When Satan is done using these people, he discards them, he he uses them, and and it's horrible. And that's exactly what we see here. King Herod persecutes the church, he kills James, and then reality hits the man Herod. King Herod persecutes the church, but the man Herod has something very different happen to him. Let's look at verse 19. We see what happens to the man Herod. Herod went from, then Herod went from Judea. And Caesarea and stayed there a while. He had been quarreling with the people of Tyre and Sidon. They now joined together and sought an audience with him, having secured the support of Blastus, a trusted personal servant of the king. They asked for peace because they depended on the king's country for their food supply. 
On the appointed day, Herod, wearing his royal robes, sat on the throne and delivered a public address to the people. They shouted, this is the voice of a God, not of a man. Immediately, because Herod did not give praise to God, an angel of the Lord struck him down, and he was eaten by worms and died. They were just waiting to have at it, right? But the word of God continued to increase and spread. Right away, he was eaten by worms. Think of Alien. Remember the Alien movie? Out of the chest, yeah. The worms are, yeah. yeah the worms were just exploding out of this guy, just like with his grandpa. It was horrible, horrible. But, in fact, let me just read a little quote here from Josephus, which gives a little bit more detail on it. Um, and Josephus talks about this, and I'm going to switch my glasses because my, my one eye is getting worse. I'm going to see the doctor soon. But uh, this is, I put my other reading glasses on for these small print things. Uh, so crazy what Josephus, you just saw what the, the, what's recorded in Acts, but Josephus gives a little bit more detail. And he said... Um, he said, on the second day of the festival, Herod put on a garment made holy of silver. Now, you saw about the royal robes before. Holy of silver and of a truly wonderful contexture. And came into the theater early in the morning, at which time the silver of his garment was illuminated by the fresh, fresh reflection of the sun rays upon it. It shone out in a surprising manner and was so resplendent as to spread horror over those who looked intently upon him. He was like glowing, shining silver royal robes that they talked about, right? Um, at that moment, his flatterers cried out that he was a god. And they added, be merciful to us, for although we have so far reverenced thee only as a man, yet from now on we will refer to thee as superior to mortal nature. And as soon as this happened, Josephus said he didn't reject them. He didn't rebuke them. He, he absorbed this flattery. A severe pain arose in his belly and began in a most violent manner. Blah, blah, blah. You saw about the worms already. All right. So it was horrible. Horrible what happened to him. But it, this, this is a picture. He was eaten by worms because of the blasphemy, and he had just connected the dots, Acts chapter 12. He had just been pers- persecuting the church. And so between the blasphemy and the persecution, he paid the price. And the key here is the King Herod persecutes the church. The man Herod is eaten by worms. God is sending a very clear message. The Holy Spirit is connecting the dots for us. You don't mess with God or his children. Herod is the first in a long line of persecutors to be to be judged by God. You connect the dots. If you've ever studied history and you studied the Roman emperors who persecuted the church, it's shocking what happened to them. Caliglia and Nero. It's shocking to see how they persecuted the church and how they died these horrible deaths because God sent a clear, clear message. And that message is for us today, too. We should not fear man. We should not fear man. We, there's a lot of people out there in charge of a lot out there that are very anti-Christ. We should not fear them. They are just worm food. <coughs> They're worm food. That's all they are. And many leaders in our country today are completely anti-Christ, but we should not fret and we should not fear. They are a heartbeat away from eternal judgment, just like the Herod's. Every one of them is a heartbeat away from judgment, just like the Herod's. But Acts 12 ends with 
Verse 24, we'll see 25 next time, but 24, but the word of God continued to increase and spread. (coughs) The word of God continued to spread and increase. Listen, today, Herod is in hell. King Herod is in hell, but the word of God continues 2,000 years later to spread. It's the number one, you know, book, red book in the world, bought book in the world every year, year after year. The word of God continues to spread. So many have tried throughout history, starting with the, the, the emperors and, and, and the, the, the persecutors. So many have tried to quench the word of God. They've tried to, by any means possible, they've tried to stop it. We, we all have, we all have a Bibles. I, we have 10 Bibles. You know, a lot of us have 10 Bibles. Our house probably has 25 Bibles. You know, there's Bibles everywhere. But we, we take for, we take for granted what has cost so many who have fought for the Word of God to make sure that we have the Word of God. But God has always made sure His Word has gotten out in spite of those who have tried to stop it. In fact, I looked at, I, it reminded me of what happened with John Wycliffe. Uh, John Wycliffe, uh, 1428 Bishop of Lincoln in England. Uh, He was Oxford's leading philosopher and theologian. I'm just going to read you a few things about John Wycliffe and see the thread of how we get the Bible. Wycliffe rightly believed that the scriptures are the standard by which all traditions, popes, and other sources must be measured. Scripture is sufficient in and of itself for salvation, Wycliffe argued. This meant the authority of the Pope and the doctrines of the church were subject to the teaching of Scripture. When the doctrines of the Pope ran afoul of Scripture, they should be rejected. This sounds standard now, but at this time, this was radical. Beyond opposing the papacy, Wycliffe's view of Scripture led him to reject doctrines such as transubstantiation. He said this was invented in the 13th century. Thought though he maintained that Christ's body and blood were somehow spiritually present in the Lord's Supper, which we all know that, Wycliffe rejected transubstantiation. Uh, His high view of Scripture also led Wycliffe to Bible translation. Though his translation work, and the, I'm sorry, through his translation work, (coughs) excuse me, and the itinerant preaching of his followers, Wycliffe had a widespread lasting influence. Wycliffe believed the Bible to be the final authority for doctrine and practice, which it claims to be, right? This, this is standard. We know what the Bible says. But at this time, they were fighting tradition and a lot of other things. Uh, and he believed the Bible should be read by everyone, including the common Englishman. In Wycliffe's day, the Latin Vulgate was the main Bible available, and the only copies were kept in churches. And even if they could gain access to that Bible, the common Englishman could not read Latin and was forced to rely on the local priest to, to tell him what the Bible said. Wycliffe argued that, he said, Englishmen learn Christ's law best in English He said, Moses heard God's law in his own tongue. So did Christ's apostles. The law. So starting in 1380, Wycliffe supervised the work of translating the scriptures from Latin into Middle English. All copies were handwritten. There was no printing press yet. The law 
But he, they started getting these hand-copied writings of the Bible in, in Middle English at that time. The loss of the monopoly of Scripture was of serious concern to Rome. The Catholic Church condemned the Wycliffe Bible. Anyone caught reading it was subject to heavy fines. As the persecution increased, Wycliffe supporters were burned at the stake with the Wycliffe Bible hung around their neck for having the Word of God. For reading the Bible. But the word of God was out. And the people could read for themselves what God had said. When Wycliffe died, Wycliffe died in 1384, his teachings did not die with him. His disciples uh, spread it far and wide into Bohemia, where John Hus picked it up. And, and, and it, went all, it all started going all over. Um, he continued, Hus continued to spread the reform in Europe until he was martyred for his beliefs. In 1450, he was killed for for. Of the Word of God. For, in 1428, Wycliffe's remains were dug up, his bones were burned, and his ashes were scattered in a nearby river. That's how upset they were for him translating the Word of God into English. One historian observed that as Wycliffe's ashes were cast into the swift and eventually spread to the ocean, so his teachings spread throughout the world. John Wycliffe, the, the morning star of the Reformation, lit the way for many other believers to follow. Amazing. That's how we got the word. I'm going to read one more because it really brings out what happened. William Tyndale. William Tyndale. Many of you know who William Tyndale is. Uh, 1494 to 1536, English reformer. He was convinced that the way to God was through the word of God. He said it has to come through the Bible, through God's word. Uh, his his works and, and, and translations were banned in England. <coughs> Many copies were destroyed. Uh, 150, uh, we already talked about Wycliffe. Wycliffe was banned. We talked about that. His copies were destroyed. But 150 years, years later, Tyndale began, Luther and Tyndale began reforms. But T- Tyndale wanted to make the scriptures available to everyone. William Tyndale. Tyndale, and he began to translate the Bible, not from the Latin, but he translated it from the Greek and Hebrew, right from the original languages. For his work on the English Bible, Tyndale drew the anger of the Anglican Church, Church of England, and the Roman Catholic Church. He was caught between the so-called Reformed Church, the Anglican Church, and between the the Catholic Church, they both hated him. He was squeezed between a vice. They were hunting him. The, uh, the established uh, church taught that the lady had no business reading God's word. Both the Church of England, the Anglican Church, and the Roman Catholic Church said people had no business reading the Bible. And Tyndale famously said, I defy the Pope and all his laws. If God spare my life ere many years, I will cause the boy that drives the plow to know more of the scriptures than you, the Pope. Amen. Tyndale was forced to flee England by, from the Anglican Church, where the English language Bibles were illegal. He, but then he got, got into the Gutenberg movable press. The Gutenberg was out. The press was out. He succeeded in printing 6,000 copies of the entire New Testament. 
Tyndale's new English Bibles were smuggled into England, but the Church of England waged war against them, publicly burned them. The Archbishop of Canterbury tried to buy them all up so he could burn them. We get the picture, don't we? In 1535, Tyndale was betrayed and imprisoned by a false friend. Then he was put in prison for a year and a half. He was in prison for the crime of printing the Bible and the common language. In 1536, Tyndale was led out to a stake where he was strangled and burned alive. His last words, Lord, open the king of England's eyes. His dying prayer was answered. By 1539, just four years later, every parish in England was required to have a copy of the Bible in English and make it available to every parishioner four years after his death. Over the next 70 years, two million copies of the Bible were sold in England. And when the translators of the King James Version produced their Bible in 1611, they relied heavily on Tyndale's Bible. 90% of the phrasing of the King James Bible comes from Tyndale's Bible. Tyndale's legacy is the Bible he gave to the English-speaking people. His translation was the first English to come directly from the Hebrew and the Greek. You can't stop... God's word. Can't stop it. So many have tried, but God's word is still here today. God's word is still here today, and I guarantee it will be here until Jesus Christ comes again, because he says in Mark 13, 31, he says, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. Will never pass away. Let's connect some dots. We see this very thing being repeated in the United States today those of us who are old enough i'm one of them have seen what has happened the bible was removed from the public schools that was once in the public schools it's been removed from then after that from the public square they've done their best to remove god's word from the public square history has been rewritten completely rewritten god God's Christianity's role in the establishment of our country, the, the, the importance of the Bible in our country has, has been completely been erased, the, erased the Christian foundation to this country. Oh, my goodness. It, it's shocking. Those who, who aren't my age or older never saw it but the, the the christian foundation of this country is irrefutable now the new mantra is separation of church and state which is not in the constitution which is not in the declaration of independence it's nowhere it was written in a letter from, from a, a pastor wrote to thomas jefferson that he didn't want the government to squeeze the baptists out of the picture it, but it, it was it's been twisted he was just saying we hope that the government doesn't doesn't rule one denomination over another that all christians have equal place in this country and that's been twisted to separate god from the state and erase god from from the usa 
history, completely erased. I remember as a kid, the USSR rewrote history, and they would actually, you, you read the, the different history things, they would actually erase people's pictures, you remember that? And they would change the stories, and they tried to erase God out of, out of, the, out of Russia. And, and I remember thinking, wow, what a wicked, what is this? crazy that they get away with this. And now we're doing it here. There's more spiritual freedom, religious freedom in Russia than there is in the USA today. It's crazy. And now much of the country is hostile to God's word. It's, it's openly mocked by the media, by the college campuses, by Hollywood, by celebrities, by many people in this country, openly mocked. And we are seeing the effect of rejecting God, aren't we? We are in the book of Judges. We're living out, the, 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 we're seeing the godlessness and the lawlessness and the depravity. Stories that are too shocking to even repeat, but it's on a daily basis. The riots and the, and the mobs looting and the school shootings and, and the shocking crimes. If you want to know where it's headed, just look at Romans 1, Romans 1, 18 to 31, and you'll see where the USA is on that continuum. Oh, it's, it's scary. And it's easy at this time, it's easy to think that the bad guys are winning, isn't it? It's easy to think that evil is winning, but they are not winning. And we often see that now. We see the victories that God lets us connect the dots to now, but we're going to see it all later. Whether we see God's victory now, whether he is justice now or later, we're going to see it. How, <coughs> how did the believers in the book of Acts, how did they respond how did the Christians all throughout history during Tyndale's time and John Huss's time, how did they re- respond? How did Christians all throughout history respond? How should we respond? Second Thessalonians, and I'm just going to end with this. Second Thessalonians is a great passage. Second Thessalonians 1, verse 3. We all, now, these were people under persecution. We all always to thank God for you, brothers, and rightly so, because your faith is growing. Your faith is growing more and more. And the love every one of you has for each other is increasing. Therefore, among God's churches, we boast about your perseverance. We're getting some hints here. Perseverance and faith. In all the persecutions and trials you are enduring. (laughs) All this is evidence that God's judgment is right. And as a result, you will be counted worthy of the kingdom of God for which you are suffering. Growing faith. Perseverance. Faith in persecutions and trials. We are called to keep living by faith. And to keep sharing that faith. And to keep growing in our faith. That's what we're called to do. Not focus and fret on, on the evil leaders. Because we know God's in control. In fact, right after this in verse, uh, in verse 6, listen to what it says. <clears throat> God is just. He will pay back trouble to those who trouble you. And give relief to you who are troubled and to us as well. Get that? God is just. He will... Pay back trouble to those who trouble you and give relief to you who are troubled and to us as well. This will happen when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven in blazing 
fire with his powerful angels. He will punish those who do not know God and do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. They will be punished with everlasting destruction and shut out from the presence of the Lord and from the majesty of his power on the day he comes to be glorified in his holy people and to be marveled at among all those who have believed. This includes you because you have believed our testimony to you we god is just he's going to make this right either it's going to we're going to be able to connect and he gives us just enough dots to connect to now to encourage us right and to keep our faith growing we see a lot but a lot we don't see and we're going to have to wait on that look when it happens we're we're trusting that god is fulfilling his purpose he's going to make things right and it's going to happen at the second coming of jesus christ it's all going to be right, right. You think somebody gets away, you hear these cold cases, somebody gets murdered, they find the body, they don't know who did it, blah, blah, blah. You know, nobody gets away with anything. We see these wicked rulers in our country whose whole number one goal in life is to make sure babies are murdered, right? They're not going to get away with it. God's going to make it right. It's either going to, we're going to either see it now with our very eyes or we're going to see it when jesus christ comes again it's going to all be made right god is just and we have to trust god that he's fulfilling his purpose and he's going to make things right do we have that faith do we have that assurance that no matter what trial we are facing do we have the assurance that god got this that god is in control and you don't mess with god I think of COVID and, and, and the COVID sweeping the country for the eighth time now, right? And, and it, I just think that this is a test. There's a lot of purposes in it we've talked about. But one of the things, it's a test for Christians. It's a test for us. It's exposing our level of trust. It's showing us where we need to grow in our faith. Because the fear has taken over, it's showing us where we need to grow in our faith. God is using this not just for judgment, but he's using it for the church, for a refining. And, and we, we, do we have the faith? Do we have the assurance? No matter what trial we are facing, and we all are facing many trials, we as Christians have confidence. Look what he says here in Second Thessalonians. We have confidence that God has us in his hand. No matter what we are facing, God is in control. These people were being persecuted. They were being martyred. They were being killed. And look what Paul, the Apostle Paul says about them. We boast about your perseverance and faith in all the persecutions and trials. That was growing their faith. Do, 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 we, do we believe that no matter who is attacking us, that God will see that justice is done? We may see it here, but we're going to definitely see it either here, there, or in the air, right? And we're going to see it, you know, whether on the way up, you know, whenever the rapture happens, or whether we're here or there or in the air, we're going to see this happen. He's going to make it right. Do we, do we have that faith? Are we growing in that faith? That's the focus of Acts chapter 12. And if you're here and you're not a Christian yet, do you want that assurance? Do you want the assurance that you know that you're in God's hands? That, if, that no, no matter what is happening here, or even if you were to die, you know you're in God's hands. Totally in his hands, and he's fulfilling his purpose for your life. Every one of us, God has a purpose for our life. And he will fulfill that no matter what we're facing. Do you want that assurance? You can have it by putting your faith in Jesus Christ, by giving your life to Jesus Christ. That's what Christmas is all about. 
God sent his son, John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. At Christmas. Amen. At Christmas. But he didn't just come to be born. He came to die and to resurrect from the dead, to pay for our sins and to come back to life to prove he was God's son and prove he can give us a brand new life. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. You can have that life right this moment, starting now and all throughout all of eternity. A brand new life with a brand new purpose, with peace and joy, by putting your faith in Jesus Christ. The word there, believe in the Greek, means to completely depend on. It's not an intellectual. It means to believe, but but it's a believing in the heart. It's a completely trust in and depend on and cling to. That's what that word means in the Greek. Let's pray. How is the Holy Spirit speaking to us? Maybe you're here this morning and you've never put your faith in Jesus Christ. You've never given your life to him. But today can be that day. There's no religious ritual or rite or hoop to jump through. It's the prayer of faith for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. That whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Are you ready to give your life to Jesus Christ? This could be a very special Christmas. Talk about a gift you can get. And we can only get it through faith. The prayer of faith, right where you are, right this moment, whether you're watching online, whether you're sitting here, the prayer of faith that says, God, I believe Jesus died for me died for my sin, for everything wrong I've ever done or ever will do. I believe he died for me. I don't want the sin anymore. I repent. I turn away from it. And I ask you to forgive me. Let me become your child. Please forgive me because I'm putting my faith in Jesus. I put my faith in Jesus. I give my life to you, God. For God so loved the world. That he gave his one and only son. That whosoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. If you have put your faith in Jesus and something amazing has happened, you have just received the gift of life. It starts this very second. The Holy Spirit is in you now. Jesus is right there with you. God is your Father now. Your loving Father. You could talk to Him anytime. He's going to... You're in for the shock of your life. Things that you used to think or do, you won't be able to do anymore. 
you're going to have conviction. He's going to lead you to do so many positive things. You're going to have a brand new purpose. And I want to encourage you, if you have put your faith in Jesus, to let somebody know. Maybe you came with a family member or a friend or you know someone or tell me on the way out. I'd love to talk to you. Tell somebody so we can encourage you and be excited for you. But you have just received a special Christmas gift. A brand new life. For those of us who are already Christians, we've already put our faith in Christ. How is the Holy Spirit speaking to us? Is our faith growing? Are we sharing that faith? Are we living out that faith in a very dark country, in a very dark world, getting darker by the second? But remember the the believers in the book of Acts. Remember Paul's words to the Thessalonians in their persecution and martyrdom. This is our time. To grow. This is our time to glow. To show people the light of Jesus Christ. And no one can lay a finger on us unless it's in God's purpose. James was killed. The apostle James was killed and the apostle Peter was preserved. God's purpose. Father, I pray for everyone going through trials today. Whatever that trial is, that we would trust you. We would focus on growing in our faith. Not on the trial, but growing on our faith. I pray your Holy Spirit would move through each one one here in a powerful way. In Jesus' name, amen.